This is the Tan Report. I'm your host, Tan Trung. On a recent trip down to Plaquemines Parish in southeast Louisiana, I drove by the offices of the Plaquemines Gazette. Chances are, if you don't live around that area, you probably never heard of the Plaquemines Gazette. It's a weekly newspaper that focuses on just Plaquemines Parish. I was heading to another interview for another episode of this podcast, but I made a mental note to follow up and call the paper. Newspapers across the U.S. have dramatically dropped off in the last 20 years, and I was curious how a small newspaper like the Plaquemines Gazette is able to keep going while so many larger operations have gone under. A study put out last year by the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University found that the U.S. is losing two newspapers per week. From 2019 to 2022, 360 U.S. newspapers shut down. A lot of it has to do with how people are getting their news and consuming stories. You're probably listening to this podcast on your phone or through something connected to the Internet. Naturally, traditional media like newspapers, radio, and television have all tried to adapt to the digital landscape, and it can be a pretty rough transition. Here's Norris Babin. He's the editor and publisher of the Gazette. But the paper itself operates under the umbrella of a printing operation called Printall Incorporated. So we have a constant stream of people in in the course of a week. In addition to the newspapers, we run a printing operation. But people don't have places to get simple copies made or faxes made. Uh, Sometimes they come in with papers that they're trying to get disability forms submitted, and they have no place to get copies made locally. Right before I met Norris, I met Dwayne Cornyn as he was about to check out at the register. What are you getting, what are you coming in here for today? Well, I got some papers I got to return back to the IRS, and they got this company, Snow Haven, this, uh, this plant over the river, and it's like they got some type of uh, claim lawsuit going on, so I'm just trying to get a couple of copies to give a couple of people to see if we can, you know, get a couple of these dollars, you know. I got to say, Duane, I wasn't expecting that answer. But <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time you actually picked up a paper, like a physical paper? Uh, I'm going to say about a, about a week, about a week ago, I, you know. Do you remember what the newspaper was? Was it the Plaquemines Gazette? I, I think so. I'm sh- I ain't sure. It's right behind you. Yeah. Did you pick up that paper? I think so. I think it was, it was, it was like the, 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 the week before that, I think. I picked it up and I kind of looked at it, but I don't even remember what was on it. But we don't get, you know, we got one store that, that, that sent them out. So we don't, you know, we don't see it a lot down there on that side because we only had one stove. So it, a lot of them don't come down there. Where we, do you live at? I live in Prent La Hash, okay. East Prent La Hash. Yeah, okay. We used to get it delivered to our home. Which paper do you remember? We had the Gazette. The Gazette? Yeah, we had the Gazette, you know. And, uh, was that back in the day then? Yeah, that was like back in the day, like maybe before Katrina and stuff, but. We get a paper, but it's that one store. We have one store. And, and when Dwayne says that it's one store, the East Bank is about 40 miles long. And so that you store travel. is on one end of that. Where Dwayne is from, East Point of Lahash, is about 50 miles from New Orleans. So what's going on in his neck of the woods isn't necessarily going to make headlines in the newsrooms in the city. That's where the Plaquemines Gazette comes in. You don't see a lot, you know, a lot that's going on about Plaquemines, like with the ferry and all that. You don't see that. You know, you got to you gotta hear from somebody or, you know, but like... somebody around from here, you ain't really getting it from New Orleans or no. anywhere else because uh-huh. they really don't cover the news they don't as cover much the news down, down here. There. You know, we got a lot going on. We're trying to get this ferry back. You know, for instance, if, 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 if a person have to go to Port Selva to go to the doctor, 
they got to drive 30 miles up to Bell Chase and then 30 miles back down to Post Self. You know, if they're living in Pernley Head and they got to do the reverse. And that's where you stay. And that's where I stay. So, you know, you know, you know, a lot of people don't know what we're going through, what a lot of people going through. And they tell you, well, such and such go be on a certain channel at a certain time and you miss it. You know, at least you will have a paper, you know, that way you can look at it and, and you can see what they're talking about. And that right there crystallizes the important role that locally based, locally focused newspapers have historically played in smaller cities, towns, and parishes like Plaquemines. There used to be more newspapers that would have separate bureaus covering them and reporters dedicated to certain topics or beats that would be relevant to those communities. But as newspapers have lost advertisers and revenue to the internet and social media, Many papers, from giants like the New York Times to smaller ones like the Plaquemines Gazette, have had to cut back on staff, which means fewer bodies that can go get stories. Norris gave me a tour of Printall's facilities, which is also where the newsroom for the Gazette has operated since the 1980s. But a lot has changed since then, as Norris explained to me on the tour. I'm going to show you uh, most of the uh, facility is for printing, so watch your step. So I'll show you around that. We have a couple of different buildings. Here's uh, Gene Oakland. He's hey, Gene. How are one you, of sir? my temporary nice help nice and you. pressmen. Uh, now we're going outside on a bright, sunny day. Yes. <sighs> waiting for rain. <laughs> Been right waiting for rain. We had some clouds move through yesterday, and the rain was really close, but it appeared to be over the marsh outside of St. Bernard, headed to Blunt to Waveland, Mississippi. What a tease. Okay, yeah. Wow. What do we got here? So this is a... Let me close. Air conditioning is in short supply. Oh. <laughs> so this is a digital printing... We'll do banners and, and uh, roll-to-roll material from wow. here, trimming out here. This is a retractable banner for a customer. Uh, this is a, a political sign, in political season. It is. It is. Busy time upon us. around here. Uh, this printer can print on anything up to four inches thick. It's massive. And it's... It's weather ready as soon as it's printed. It uses infrared ink to dry uh, with an infrared drying system and it's weatherproof. So it'll print on metal and whatever you need to print. These are the conventional press, uh, presses. You can see where the tile is missing on the floor. Mm-hmm. We used to print our own newspaper. And this was the newspaper press. It was a four-unit Goss Community was a uh, brand and model name. So it looks like, what, almost 15 feet long, almost? Uh, Closer to 30 feet after you add up all of the pieces. It had four units, and each unit would hold an 1,100-pound roll, depending on the type of paper. How long ago was that did you have that? It was before Hurricane Katrina. I was actually one of the backup pressmen. I have a picture across the street I can show you of me actually running the press. Uh, after Katrina, and I only use that as a time stamp, it, it doesn't have much to do with why we're not printing, but the printing industry changed to more digital sure. and everyone wanting more color. On our older press, it was manufactured basically to print a black and white paper. 
and only 16 pages a section. We you talk about the newspaper. It, yes. We configured it for color, but when we did that, it took some of the units out of production, and we were only able to produce an eight-page section with color only on the outside of the, uh, of the one of the rows. Eight pages sounds a bit skinny. So, yeah, so for us to do it, it became very labor-intensive, and it cost money and time. It became cheaper to job it out to someone with a much larger plant with new equipment so we can actually pay someone else to print the newspaper, get color where we need it, and get it quicker and less expensive than doing it ourselves. This will sound like a stupid question. How did you get, like, your layout, your content to them to, to print? Like, how does that work? How did, how did that work? Uh, back in the day when we first started doing it, uh, we would have to do the physical boards and drive the boards to the printer. Today, and when we started outsourcing it, for the most part, we were able to do it digitally. We were able to upload our files to an FTP site where they downloaded it and they had the files all completed. But before the digital age, you had to physically put it in a car and we, take it over there? We used to print a newspaper for uh, a community across the lake. And they would physically put it on a Greyhound bus and send it COD. I, I can't make this up. <laughs> the reason why they would send it COD as Greyhound took better care of packages that were COD than the packages that were prepaid. It's because they had to get the money for it, and if it was messed up, I would refuse to pay it. Norris, i got to tell you, that's a newsflash to me that Greyhound actually had a delivery service. I just thought they hauled people. Well, they do. Uh, and uh, the delivery was like motor freight. We would have to go to the Greyhound station in New Orleans to pick up the boards bring it back here and we'd shoot their boards in our dark room. We had a full dark room and we'd have to make negatives, process the negatives, then make the metal plates to go on the press. I mean, with that then, it, it sounds like your deadlines had to be very tight because you had to physically get it to a certain point and then it had to travel. So you, you had to get all your stuff, your stories, really meeting those deadlines to get it physically to a point where you can deliver it to get it to print at a decent time to then get it to your readers eventually. Tom, you know, us humans are kind of an odd makeup. For sure. Back in those days, I can't say our deadline was any later than it is now. You seem to take the time constraints you have, and a lot of us, including me, seem to make ourselves overloaded and it's last minute doing it. I don't care if you have 10 minutes to do something or 10 hours to do something. For me, it seems like I'm the last 30 minutes when I'm getting it done. So actually, physically, yes, you had to be move your deadlines up. But in actuality, we're, it's still last minute. You know, I, Now, we can wrap up the paper at 5 o'clock and have the files at the printer at 5.15. We could not do it then. What you would do is you would do it overnight, and you'd have it ready at 6 a.m. or uh, in the way of the paper that would send their boards to us. They would put it on a bus by 10 o'clock at night, and we would pick it up 6 a.m. in the morning at the Greyhound bus station. But the key was to send it COD. <laughs> Walking through the buildings was like stepping back in time. Norris took me to an area that they've reserved to store stuff like equipment, supplies, and machines. 
part of that reason is because we used to have a lot more employees and there was a lot of hands-on things we've done. As the workforce has shrunk or reduced... You're talking about print all in, in the Gazette here. Print all and the Gazette. Uh, we have a lot... We probably have about 10 fewer full-time employees do basically the same amount of work. A lot of it's more automated and it's a quicker product with the digital equipment. Uh, if we were starting out today, we wouldn't need so much room. But because we already have the room, it's like, well, I'll put that in that room and we'll get to it later. So that's can, on the You list can never have enough storage, I say, Norris. When we first started the newspaper... We then walked into the Gazette's old newsroom. These two rooms is where we started, and, and it just grew out from there. So this was the original kind of newsroom for the Gazette, where we're standing right now. It was. So where were you? Like, where, where were you located in, the, in this area? There were three of us, and we all were owners. We were everywhere. We were reporting. We were labeling papers, putting the names in the subscriber base, uh, greeting customers. The customers would come in here. We had a desk there and a desk there, and this was the work area. So, so there were three of you? Yes, there so were. The, so the staff of three running the paper? Yes, and, I mean, we were all partners, equal partners. You were and, basically and, a startup then, really. Absolutely. You know, we, we would gather the news, type it up, put headlines on it, bring the boards to the printer, which at the time was a name meet, bring the paper back here, address it, mail it. For a long time, we I gave the paper out free. We would actually drive around all of Bell Chase, giving one out at every house. So how would you make your money if you were giving it away for free? I was doing other things to make money. <laughs> we had some advertising, and it paid the cost of the paper, but it didn't pay our salaries. We were all three doing other things. Norris didn't have much journalism experience at that time. He had done some reporting in high school, but his background was actually in music education. But toward the end of that, I decided the last thing I wanted to do was be a band teacher. So I dropped that. I, I, I changed course. By the early 1980s, Norris, originally from New Orleans, found himself in Plaquemines Parish and in the newspaper business. We had a new startup in Plaquemines in 1981. Uh, and that paper was just one that myself and two business partners started. 1981. We, 1981. What was the name of the paper? The Plaquemines Watchman. It got confused sometimes with Watchtower, so we would get some strange looks at times, <laughs> especially from some of the churches when we would add uh, covering events. But it, it quickly became known as an independent paper. At the time, Shalom Perez was president of our commission council, and Luke Petrovich, who was his... At first, ally, then his political foe, was trying to struggle uh, and get control of Plaquemines out of the Perez family. We were brand new. We were not connected to hardly anyone down here. And what we did when we went to, uh, when either myself or my two business partners reported on the governmental meetings, we just wrote what we heard, what we saw, and what people said. No slant from any side. So a lot, of, a lot of people were confused down here 
One, it's hard to start a new publication in a small area without many connections and be successful. Can I ask, what what prompted you? Like, what was the, for lack of a better term, what was the inspiration to not be from Plaquemines or be from outside of Plaquemines and decide to establish well, a news or start a newspaper here? Like, what were you thinking? I don't know I can answer that question. <laughs> it, it wasn't my thoughts. <laughs> One of my business partners wanted to do it. I, I think it was always a dream to start a newspaper, and he, and he had some friends down here. They just weren't very politically connected at the time or business, but he did have a lot of friends, and this area needed one. This area had an old-time paper managed by an old-time husband and wife team that owned it, and really it was a, a weak excuse for a newspaper. Right. They didn't report on many things. When they did, it was very slanted from one political side. They were too entrenched. It, they were. So our intentions was to start a new paper, show people what we could do, then try to buy the, the existing paper from those owners. Because of politics getting involved, there were a lot of rumors as to which side was behind us, Perez or Petrovich, and, and most of everyone politically assumed someone had to behind, be behind the paper because why else would someone do that? <laughs> well, uh, as it turned out, the, the Plaquemines Gazette was sold to two brothers that were politically connected and strong businessmen in the parish, and they held on to it for three more years. In 1985, ownership of the Gazette changed hands. And we started talking, and we ended up buying the Gazette from the two brothers that had purchased it. By that time, politics had somewhat settled. The Perez family had not had the hold that they had on the parish at that time. Uh, Petrovich was about to run for parish president, which was our first parish president from the commission council. So things changed, and then we ended up buying the Plaquemines Gazette. And that was in 85. And from 1985 to when uh, Hurricane Katrina hit, we published both papers, but we published them as twice a week. And so basically it was the same paper that came so out twice a week. So basically a 20-year run for a bi-weekly newspaper then. Right. And then after Katrina, before Katrina, our largest advertising base and customer base was south of Belchase. So after Katrina, we lost a majority of our base so we just went down to once a week at that time. We're talking like so, Jesuit Ben, Port Sulphur, Empire, Beerus, uh, Venice. I mean, Dwayne, that you were speaking to yeah. a little earlier from East Point of Lahash. Uh, when we first started the Plaquemines Watchmen, there were nine high schools in Plaquemines Parish. That's counting public and private. Today there's uh, four. And so, you know, it, it was different. We could go to football games. Now it, we can still go to football games. We can't seem to get to them these days, <laughs> but it's much fewer. Uh, so, yes, our Paris has changed tremendously. How do you think the, the paper changed with it? It sounds like to me that from 85 to right before 2005, those were pretty golden years then if, if you were able to kind of 
it didn't feel it like at the time. <laughs> it never does when you're working, but yeah. But looking back, it, it was. Uh, you know, we had multiple high schools down here. We had communities that were thriving that are non-existent today or just a pittance of what it was. Uh, you know, the communities of Buras, uh, uh, I have family that had a house in Buras that actually had 21 feet of water inside the house for the hurricane. Yeah, I mean, Empire, <laughs> and, uh, those areas, those communities were, I mean, the eye moved over. Absolutely. You so know, so it's places. changed a tremendous amount. Uh, we've been blessed. We've stayed with a, a strong subscriber base and a strong readership that, that remains today. In 2009, Norris and his business partner bought another small newspaper, the St. Bernard Voice, which covers issues and stories in St. Bernard Parish. The Voice has a printed version that comes out every Tuesday. The Gazette's paper publishes on Fridays. Both papers have online versions of their papers. Full access to them is through a subscription. Norris says each newspaper has about 3,000 subscribers. The staff gathering news and content for both papers is made up of five full-time employees, including three people whom Norris says make the newspapers possible. I am Brandy Rollo, and I am the graphic designer for both newspapers, the Plaquemines Gazette and the St. Bernard Voice. Yeah, my name is uh, Justin Walton, and I'm the reporter for the Plaquemines Gazette and the St. Bernard Voice. My name is Amber Pertini-Wallow. I am primarily the public notice clerk, but I also do reporting and graphic design. None of them really thought they'd end up working at a newspaper. You guys are fairly young. <laughs> what, what was it about? Compared to me, you said? Compared to, <laughs> compared to me, too. I, trust me, I'm, I'm, I, get, I get more salt than pepper nowadays in, in my hair. But, I mean, you guys are, 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 are fairly young. I mean, why would you want to get into something that many people view as a, a dying industry, which is the newspaper industry? Well, I started here 14 years ago. That's Brandy Rolo. I was actually a hairstylist looking for something that I had a, I knew what I was getting paid every week, you know, like an hourly job. Um, so I applied here to be like a typesetter, just helping search obituaries, um, typing suits and arrest, answering phone calls, helping customers. And then over time, I started to dabble a little bit with graphic design stuff, and I really fell in love with that. So I didn't go to college for it. I learned everything on by, the job. On the job. Um, so I've been here ever since, and I love it. I mean, it's even helped me as far as doing things outside of here with graphic design. So um, I don't think of it as just working for a newspaper. I just love doing what I do. So... Justin, how about you? I mean, did you always want to be a reporter, and did um, you want to be a reporter for a newspaper? I, I don't know if it was something that was kind of actively in my head my entire life, but I mean, sort of as I kind of went through college, uh, I went to college at Tulane, so I was in New Orleans, um, and I knew I wanted to stay in and around New Orleans, and so you know, I, I you know saw that this job was open up at the time when I was trying to look down. I think it was right in the middle of the pandemic, and you know. I mean, I applied to it. Um, I, I do enjoy being a reporter. It's something that, you know, it interested me before. I never really had a really thought of it as an option to do. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know, I've enjoyed every second of it. I think, you know, you know, I have, especially at this job, you know, I think a lot of the, you know, people kind of, the way people view reporting is that, you know, there's a lot of, like, oversight on what actually gets written. And it's, but I think here, you know, I have a lot of ability to, like, look into stories and, you know, be able to express what I think about them and, and 
report on them how I think they should be reported on. Amber Bertini Wallow wanted to be a writer, but not necessarily for a newspaper. In college, I thought about working for, in law enforcement. So I got an associate's degree in criminal justice, thinking, okay, you know, I can do PR for um, a sheriff's office or what. And then they went You'd on be a, a public information officer. Right. And then they went on a hiring freeze. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that ain't going to work. So then I switched gears, got a BA in English, and this September will make seven years for me that I've been here. Just my two cents here, but I've always thought newspaper reporting to be the purest form of reporting. It tends to be less personality-driven than broadcast journalism. And now, with social media influencers, podcasters, and even your quote-unquote average citizen putting out what we've collectively called content, I can't help but admire the commitment the Gazette staff has made to keep covering stories. Not for downloads, likes, or shares, but for the people living in Plaquemines and St. Bernard parishes. What's it like for you guys, like, competing in this space of, like, social media and clickbait where headlines have to be quote-unquote sexy and really... It seems like from from what I've seen from the Gazette, I mean, you guys are presenting stuff that actually is relevant, that people can actually use. It's tangible for for them to kind of bring into their lives. But is it hard to compete in a in a space where the internet is so vast sometimes, and you have to kind of put stuff out there that you want your work to be seen? Um, I would say it can be a challenge, but I mean, there's always a need for community news so I feel like when you say Justin yeah so I mean uh, I mean like I said before you know there is obviously a lot of you know the, the internet has essentially taken over you know pretty much all of media outside of these like small pockets um, and you know with that you get the clickbait articles and you know really focused on small bits of information um, and popping out so people click on it as much as possible um, I don't know if we've are really competing with that though kind of in this within the community i mean obviously i think the biggest kind of run-up we have with uh with the internet is mostly just like local facebook groups and things like that um but i mean i i don't view what we're doing or like my articles as you know trying to compete with what's online um you know i i really do view it as like i'm trying to you know get what's going on within the community, whether it's a government meeting, whether I'm doing a feature article on on some uh, individual who should, who I think should be recognized or, or something like that. Right, because we get our news, too, from social media with the local um, Facebook groups. Yeah, we also get yelled at about what we write in our articles sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of us in journalism know that, like, at some point, you're not doing it for the money. <laughs> Because increasingly there's no money in, in it. What keeps you guys in this? Because I think at some point, you know, the practicalities of life kind of rear their head. You have family, you have bills to pay. Um, I don't think anybody's getting rich, and I'm, I'm not assuming, I am assuming a lot here. I mean, I'm not getting rich doing I, what I do. I, I have a quick thing to inject before they answer that. Some years ago, a friend of mine that was new to the publishing industry on the business end of it from out of town called me up in the first quarter of the year and he said, Nara, so if you don't mind sharing with me, how was your year last year? I said, we had a pretty good year. He said, really? I said, yeah, it, it's the best year we've had in a while. He says, well, we just broke even. 
I started laughing. I said, that's what I call a pretty good year. <laughs> and I was honest about that. We broke even. We didn't lose money that year. So now I'll let you go back to the staff with your question. Well, hearing that, I mean, you're, I'm, I'm, what, is it, what does it feel like for you guys to hear your boss saying, like, yeah, you know, if we break even, we're going to have a good year. I mean, what's that like being a part of a gig like that? We can be hopeful. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm only 24 years old, so you know, <laughs> I got time. You know, <laughs> I got to pivot. I got time. So you got I, time and hustle working on your side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I really enjoy working here. I think you know that's what really kind of keeps me in it. Is that, you know, uh, could I get more money in a different career doing something else? I mean, probably, but. You know, I, like you know, like I said, I'm, I'm young. I have time to figure things out, uh, and so I'm I'm just enjoying that. Like what I'm able to do here is it's it's you know, it's more freedom than I expected to have in a job, uh, and you know what I'm able to do and, and write about. How about you, ladies? I mean, I'm not going to ask your age. Justin was very forthright <laughs> in offering up his age, but I mean, you guys have been here longer than Justin. Yeah. What keeps you here? Because you feasibly could could go somewhere else and maybe I, make more money. Yeah, I well, could. She tried. <laughs> I did. Uh, about five years ago, I was like, Norris, I, I'm putting in my two weeks. I got another oh, job I'm going to take. And I felt so bad because I loved working here. Um, I love having Norris and Dale as bosses. I think of everybody I work here as family. And that's that's really hard to to leave. Um, it's hard to find it. It is. Yeah. It is. So um, I think we all work well together. Um, things get heated a little bit every now and then. But it's a newsroom. It is. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm happy here. Um, I'm not chasing money. I can do that outside of the office if I wanted to make more money, but for now I'm staying put, and I think Norris will be happy about that. <laughs> How about you? I mean, you, you've been here seven years now. Yes. Um, I think there's a quote that I love that um, it says, I became a reporter because I wanted to see the heart of the world. And really, for me, being a part of the community and working for a newspaper and just one, telling the story of what's going on, but two, also being able to help people. Like, for instance, we have folks who come in um, who have never written an obituary before um, and, you know, may not even know the first thing about it. And, you know, English wasn't a very good subject for them. So um, I've always felt like uh, if you can give me just a little information, I can go ahead and write an obituary for your loved one. Because if the tables were turned, I would hope that they would do the same thing, um, which I have. I've written several, and I even created a little worksheet to help them out. But helping the community any way I can is what really gets me going. Pound for pound, obituaries at the end of the day are probably the most important for the person, for mm -hmm. that particular family. You know, right. And, that, that, and you have to condense so much. You're basically condensing a person's life into a matter of several paragraphs, mm -hmm. and then also having to spit out the the information of where the funeral is going to be and you know when the wake's going to be. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like when you write people's obituaries, like what's that feeling? Because that is such an important story. I guess the pressure's really on because I want to do a good job, but I also, you know want to tell the story of their loved one and I always ask like you know 
are there any you know interesting quotes or any hobbies or you know what made your loved one so special to you and then I tried to bring it out into the obituary I don't know any other newspaper I'm, I'm sure there are some out there but we don't charge for it we do it as a community service in some areas, I've heard people complaining that it costs 300 or $500 to run an obituary of a loved one. Well, we've been able, maybe we could make a few more dollars if we did it. Did you just feel weird charging for obituaries? Is that why you... I think in the beginning that was the case. Now it's a case of, in some cases, I really don't want to. In some cases, it's not families that have a lot of money. Other cases, they may have the money to and would gladly pay it, but it just seems like a good service that we provide. And people and are so appreciative of it. Absolutely. Really we still get phone calls about it, and they're like, really? And like, yeah, no fooling. Uh, so, you know, what, what we do is we provide a service. I just hope that our paper keeps going for years and years to come because um, I just like working here. I like doing what we do. Do you guys feel like there is a future for a gazette? I mean, when, when you take a look at the landscape, is it, do you even think about the future sometimes like that? Or is it just, you know, you're trying to meet deadlines, which is usually <laughs> our, our lives every day? I would say yes, because sometimes the big papers don't always cover little parishes. Um, and I feel like that's definitely our advantage. So that's why I feel like there's always going to be a need and it's actually going to be our niche. Justin, how about you? What? You're a young guy. <laughs> Maybe you don't think He's about the 24. future. I know. Maybe you don't think about the future as we do. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, at the moment I'm just kind of focused on, you know, getting my stories done, turning them in on time, and making sure everything's Not exceeding word count. Yeah, not exceeding <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't worry about that. I just do it and make brand new. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I agree with Amber. You know, I, I do think that, you know, this community, you know, is receptive to having the community paper you know, so I think you know as, as long as that's the case as long as you know there's still a need for that within Plaquemines and St. Bernard I don't I don't see it as going anywhere. I really hope they don't go anywhere because when you boil it down the staff at the Plaquemines Gazette is providing its readers something no other news outlet is giving them and that's full attention. Sure it's a small operation and yes no one is getting rich doing this kind of work. But if this community were to lose its only newspaper, it'd be a loss hard to measure. In Plaquemines Parish, I'm Ton Trung for WWL Radio.